We are at uh, the fourth out of five sermons in our series through the book of Leviticus. Uh, This week we are going to just zoom in on Leviticus chapter 16 on the Day of Atonement. Uh, And Lord willing, next week we will finish up this series. Uh, Then Pastor Kevin will be in the pulpit. uh, And then we will head, Lord willing, uh, to the Gospel of Luke as we uh, build up towards uh, the Christmas story as we anticipate gathering together uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, Leviticus has been not a group of random rules, but a resolution to a problem. How can God open up a way? How has God opened up a way for people to dwell in his presence? And uh, let me pray and then we'll continue by considering Leviticus chapter 16 together. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for these songs. We thank you that Jesus has paid it all. Oh, what a, what a comfort that is. What an encouragement that is. As we consider the language of atonement here from this day of atonement in the history of Israel culminating in Christ, would you lead our hearts to respond rightly in worship? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we talked about the fact that you can't just march into a clean room. Remember, we talked about this category of a clean room where in order to go into one of these spaces where they might make film or other microchips or something, you got to literally go into a pre-dressing room and put on a hairnet and a booty and then go through this static pad and then go into a changing room. And you got to you got to put on clean clothes. you got to cover up entirely in order to, to go into the space, that clean space. One of the things that uh, is fascinating, as I was learning about clean rooms, as one does in preparation for a sermon, is that there's a distinct set process because even clean rooms need to be cleaned. So they use distilled water. They have these flat mops, like I would think of them almost like a Swiffer kind of thing, you know, and they and they do the walls and there's a pattern that you follow down and lift and down and there's a way to clean the clean room because even though despite the best efforts dust and contaminants are going to get in and so it needs to be cleaned when we come to leviticus 16 it is the cleaning of the clean room that's what's going on here when the clean room the tabernacle and here especially the holy of holies is clean but it's it's more than that you're in Leviticus 16. Would you jump with me to the end of the chapter? Just so we can orient ourselves before we look at the kind of ceremony of the Day of Atonement. We want to consider, well, what is being accomplished? What is going on here? Let's pick up in Leviticus chapter 16, beginning in verse 33. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, cleaning the clean room, we might say. And he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. He shall make atonement for the priests. And for all the people of the assembly, and this shall be a statute forever for you, for atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded. If you've ever uh, been shown how to mop a floor, you've probably been taught this principle that you mop yourself out of the room, right? So you're going to go in at a certain door. And you're going to find the furthest point in and you're going to start mopping there. So you kind of cover your tracks. And at some point you leave the room 
There's no footprints. The room has been mopped and it now needs to dry, right? So we, we get that principle. As we go through Leviticus chapter 16, we're going to see that principle at place here. So there's going to be an ordering. So Aaron, the high priest, is going to go into the Holy of Holies after first having cleansed himself and put on special garments. And, and the Holy of Holies is going to be cleansed. And then the holy place. Then the, then the courtyard, the altar. And then... The whole camp, as it were, is the goat is sent off, right? So he's going to mop himself out of the room, right? Because even Aaron, even the high priest needs to be cleaned, needs to be atoned for, needs to be cleansed. There's an order to this chapter. It's not random, right? It makes sense of this need for atonement for the priest, for the tabernacle, and then for all the people. By their sin, they... The sanctuary there, the people, the priests, all of them were rendered unclean. And we saw last week that the holy cannot come in contact with the unclean or the unclean must die. So it has to be made clean and then sanctified to be made holy. So these clean, unclean laws that we saw last week in 11 through 15 are a protection for Israel. They demonstrated the problem morally, we might say. Israel was sinful. Even Aaron is sinful. They've broken the law. And without the Day of Atonement, they could not honor God as he deserved to be. So this was given so that complete atonement for all the sins might be done annually. This morning, I want to consider uh, the passage through four points, kind of thematic points, and then four points of kind of implication or application. So all told, we're going to have eight points, four and four. So we're going to move through this quickly, spend the most time on the first one. Point number one, atonement was repeated. Atonement was repeated annually. We saw this down in verse 34, the last verse of the chapter. The day of atonement is outlined beginning in verse three, kind of a general outline of what's going to happen on the day comes in verse three through verse 10. And then we zoom in and we have it kind of acted out verses 11 down to the end of the chapter. Notice how verse three begins. But in this way. It seemed like a throwaway phrase, right? But this is the culmination of Leviticus. God has opened up a way for his people to dwell in his presence. It's not a bunch of random laws. It's solving a problem. And this is the way of atonement. He's about to provide the way. His way is the only way. This is the way of God's provision. And then verse four, we have this description of the high priest Aaron's garments. And again, we can kind of read this and we think, okay, all these details. This is tiring. What you need to note, what should catch your eye, is this is different than what was prescribed in Exodus. This is different than what we saw earlier in Leviticus chapter 8. These are basic bedsheets. The high priest does not have on his regalia. It's what you would expect, right? You get a dry clean the week before the Day of Atonement. You're ready to go. No, no, no. You lay all of that aside. Aaron is to put on basic white linens. He's to stand as he always does as a sinner, ministering to sinners, stripped of privilege, stripped of any pride. These were basic garments, not representing purity so much as humility. Even Aaron was a nobody before God. 
before his creator, stripped of any grandeur that the high priestly garments would have given him. Utter humility was required. Then in verse 5, as we saw back in chapter 8 and 9, the supplies are gathered, right? So we're told there's going to be two male goats and then a ram. Verse 6, again, a further description. We have it repeated down in verse 10. So it seems like verses 6 through 10 are repeated down in verse 11, rather. So 6 through 10, kind of, this is what's going to happen. Then verse 11, it kind of happens. So let's, let's pick up in verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So you can picture this now. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. This is the, the scapegoat is what we would call that. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord. Use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Then in verse 11, he begins. Here we need to use our sanctified imagination. First, the offering has to be made for Aaron and for his family, that is, for the priests. And then offering will be made, starting in verse 15, for the people. Beginning in verse 11, follow along in the text as I kind of summarize here. Aaron will kill the bull. This is a sin offering for himself. And then he takes a censer, this vessel, and he puts coals in it and a handful of sweet incense. And the, the censer begins to smoke. And he, dressed in his basic linens here, enters inside the veil. That is, inside the Holy of Holies, the holiest place. Friends, as Aaron enters into this, he's entered behind the veil. And do you remember what was embroidered on the veil? Cherubim. Cherubim. Do you remember uh, the candelabra? An olive tree. Do you remember the other embroiderments in the holy place? It's idyllic. It's a garden scene. He's he's returning into God's presence in the holy of holies. He's he's going back behind the veil, the cherubim that are guarding the way that they could not return to the Lord. They could not return back into the garden. Genesis chapter three. Now there is a way. There is a provision. So he's able to to enter in. It's a mercy, isn't it? When God opens a way for his people to live in his presence, mercy has been God's posture all along. And it is mercy that we find here at the center of the book of Leviticus. And blood is sprinkled now seven times in front of the mercy seat. Then beginning in verse 15, he, he kills the goat. This is an offering for the people, and he takes the blood of the goat into the Holy of Holies. He does the same sprinkling. Look at verse 16. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he and so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. So he's make atonement. Not for a people, but for a place here, isn't he? A covering, a cleansing for the Holy of Holies, for the tent of meeting. Why? Because of the sin of the people. 
This is how one commentator summarizes it. I, I love this. The purpose of the Day of Atonement ceremonies is to cleanse the sanctuary from the pollutants introduced by the unclean worshipers. Without a purpose like this, why would they risk their lives? You remember, this instruction, 16.1 and 2, was given on the same day that Nadab and Abihu died. Their bodies are being removed, and there's a cleansing that needs to happen. The clean room needs to be cleaned, as it would be every year in the history of Israel. The aim of these rituals, he continues, is to make possible God's continued presence amongst his people. And then Aaron moves out, as it were, as he's mopping himself out of the room, out of the holy place to the courtyard, to the altar. In verses 18 and 19, he makes atonement for the altar with the blood of the bull and the goat. Then there's one final step, step that's absolutely unique. When you think of the day of atonement, I hope you think of this beautiful picture, making it visible to all the congregation. Think of it so far. As an Israelite, you might gather around the tent of meeting, but you can't see what's going on in there. You don't know what the high priest is doing for you. You don't know that the blood, you can't see it. And then this last unique aspect of the Day of Atonement is visible for whole the whole congregation to see. From out of the tent of meeting comes the other goat. And what happens? All of their sins transferred to the scapegoat, sending it away out of sight. The implication is that the goat would leave the camp, not come back in the camp, die out in the wilderness. But that's not where the emphasis is placed. The emphasis is sins have been removed. That goat is not coming back. Read verse 20 with me. And when he had made an end of the atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat. We've seen this before with one hand, haven't we? Without the confession of sin and identifying with the sacrifice. We've already seen that. But here you have two hands and a confession of sin. Very clear what's going on here. Notice the word all in verse 21. All the iniquities, all the transgressions, all the sins. And he put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So what the sacrifices did for the nation of Israel, for the priests and for the tabernacle on the day of atonement, this goat now pictures for the whole congregation. They can see it happen. All their sin was gone. It was taken by another and removed as far as the east is from the west. This is substitutionary atonement. This is how David speaks of it in Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And this was done, verse 34, every year. Atonement was to be repeated annually, year after year, decade after decade, century after century. 
again and again. Moses calls it a a statute forever. No end in sight, it would seem. Never completed, it seems. Never finished. Always more sin. Priests and the people. Always more atonement needed. Which leads to our second point. Atonement was needed constantly. Atonement was needed constantly. Last week, uh, several weeks, we saw the role of the priest was to make this atonement through sacrifice to teach the people the law, but then especially to distinguish between the clean and the unclean. But this is more than purification that's going on here. Look up at verse 30. For on this day, atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You shall cleanse. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. Something more than just the ceremonial cleaning is going on here. There's a cleansing for sin. There's an atonement that's made. Remember, this is the dwelling place of God that must now become the meeting place, the tent of meeting. The goal of atonement is fellowship with God. We saw this several weeks ago. T.D. Alexander writes, by instructing the sacrifices and associated rituals outlined in Leviticus, the Lord places at the disposal of the Israelites a way of restoring and maintaining harmonious relationships with their God. There is no clearer picture of grace, of acceptance in the Old Testament than here what we have in the Day of Atonement. It's a reminder that the Bible makes clear that God is such a God, so holy, so pure, that all of our responses to him seeking to merit his favor are of no use. So the worshiper must come with gratitude for what God has done, the, the way he has provided, or he cannot come at all. The sacrificial system was God's grace. It was a gift to the people. So the heart of the worshiper is, okay, let me, let me just kind of go through the motions. Let's get through this. What an inconvenience. Again, this morning, this evening, this Sabbath, this day of atonement, again, no. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for being so kind, so loving, so faithful, so merciful. I long to be in your presence. And thank you for making a way for me to live in your midst, to dwell with you. The day of atonement taught like all the other sacrifices, that sin was pervasive. Atonement was needed constantly. Israel could not, did not outgrow its need for atonement. Point number three. Atonement is needed constantly. Third, atonement is needed constantly. Still for us, do we need atonement today? The question I want to try to think about with you. I came across this clip years ago. It's from a show that I, I never really watched, but I saw a clip of it. It's the old show ER. I think it was like on in the 90s. Medical drama. Some of us have plenty of medical drama. We don't need to go watch it, right? Met this medical drama. And there's a scene, uh, which you can find on YouTube. I've watched the scene. It's a powerful, powerful scene. Uh, there's a man who's sick. He's, he's dying of cancer. And he himself was actually a doctor. And uh, his role as a doctor was to administer for the state lethal injections for those who were being executed. And he was called in to provide a lethal injection to a man who was being 
executed for killing a cop. And uh, he provides the initial injection, but something went wrong. It didn't take. And he had to attempt it again. And eventually the man passes away. And then he learns that the man was framed. He was innocent. And he looks back on it and says, it didn't go right the first time because God was trying to stop me. And I ignored the warning and I killed an innocent man. He's distraught. He's dying. He's feeling a sense of guilt. I'm not sure rightly, but but nonetheless, they bring in a chaplain. And the chaplain is asked, he's saying to the chaplain, how can I ever hope for forgiveness? And the chaplain says, sometimes it is easier to feel guilty than to feel forgiven. I'm afraid of what might come next, he says. What do you think that is? The chaplain asks. You tell me, is atonement even possible? What does God want for me? I want a real chaplain who believes in a real God and a real hell. I need answers. And all your questions and uncertainties are only making it worse. I need someone who will look me in the eye and tell me how to find forgiveness. For I'm running out of time. It's a powerful scene. It's a critique of liberal theology is what it is. This man on his deathbed knew a sense of guilt and he needed answers. Can atonement be made? Do we need atonement? Can we find atonement? When we come to Leviticus, it seems so strange and so foreign, even if you've grown up in the church. But it speaks, no doubt, about a real God who is really holy and who really requires a real sacrifice and real blood to be spilt. That there might be real forgiveness. There's forgiveness in our passage, but it's only because necks were slit. Real blood was poured out only because a real scapegoat was led out into the wilderness and let go. The pressing need of everyone back in this day and in our day, everyone that you'll meet or even see this week is the same. Can I be forgiven? Can my sin against my maker be atoned for? The Bible is clear in the Old and the New Testament that none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. It's not hyperbole. That's us. Each one of us before a God who is no less holy than in the book of Leviticus. So we are dead spiritually and heading towards death physically. That is our lot. We are departed from God's presence, driven out of Eden, away from him. If you remember last week, we're in the parking lot. We don't have tickets. We have no access to the field. Everyone needs a plan for getting on the right side of God. What is your plan? What's your plan for getting on the right side with your creator, the one who made you? Friends, the Bible is clear. Atonement is needed. You, you can't live your way out of your need for atonement. You can't serve and sacrifice and lay your life down enough to not need atonement. Ignoring your maker or your conscience won't remove your need for atonement. It is constant. Constant for you, constant for me. We need atonement still. Fourth and finally, 
Atonement is finished. Atonement is finished. If the true God has made his will, his character known, revealed it in Scripture, then there's only one way of atonement. The Bible is so clear from beginning to end. It's the one that God himself has put forward in the blood of Christ to be received by faith. It's the way these sacrifices, it's the one that these sacrifices point to and anticipate. This is Jesus bearing our penalty in our place as a substitute so that our sin would be atoned for, so that we might be forgiven. Paul writes to the believers in Corinth, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Christ, we can behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This day of atonement, repeated every year in the life of Israel, would have built an anticipation in them. A strong desire, I think, for a permanent forgiveness, right? When something never ends, you want it to end. You want it to be complete. But when Christ appeared, as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats, calves, but by means of His own blood. Thus securing an eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purifying of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Christ is that perfect sacrifice, sinless, of infinite worth. Consequently, his death is all sufficient. No further animal sacrifices are necessary. This is why the early church dismissed as irrelevant the temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. So why do we care about Leviticus today? Like why, why a five-week series through this book, Pastor? Well, these Old Testament laws and regulations here specifically about sacrifices, they shed light on the nature of what Christ has done for us, on the nature of the atonement achieved through his death. As one preacher said, these, these laws, these commands, this day of atonement builds an organ upon which the New Testament writers come and play the song of the gospel. So we need to see, as we saw last week, the colors used in the Old Testament. So when we read our Bibles, we see it more vividly, more brightly. So we can hear Jesus' words of finality on the cross. Knowing that all was now finished, Jesus said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. 
So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Whereas these animals had a, a role in cleansing the nation and cleansing the objects outwardly and ceremonially. The blood of Christ cleanses us inwardly and cleanses our conscience. Titus 2, Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to redeem you, to redeem me, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins, no forgiveness of sins. Jesus speaks of this, of the cup, he says, for this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Because blood cleanses and brings forgiveness. The blood of Christ means that those who are cleansed need no longer feel guilty. Hebrews 10. Otherwise, would they not have Cease to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sin. People's sin, whatever the nature of it was removed, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. Leviticus sixteen twenty-two. to a remote area to let the goat go free in the wilderness. No condemnation remains. No guilt remains. Atonement achieved. God's grace and mercy have overcome our sin, bringing pardon. So fears of some unacknowledged or unintentional or inadvertent sin, they're removed on the day of atonement. So it is with Christ. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, that's Sin offering language. He condemns sin in the flesh. So there is therefore now, Romans 8, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His atonement is full and final and only received by faith. Think of the Israelite. The amount of faith it would have taken to say, okay, God said, bring an animal, forgiveness will come. I will bring an animal. I will believe that these ceremonies will remove my sin and free me from guilt. So I'm going to prepare and I'm going to participate. And if you did not prepare and if you did not participate, you were left on your own to find your own way. Of course, there is no other way, but it is for us. A faith response to say, man, I believe what God has said. That Christ really did die. And that his death really did accomplish what God said it accomplished for me. That forgiveness is mediated through his taking my penalty as my substitute for me, bringing atonement. I will embrace Christ. I will find joy in the substitute. Are you receiving this by faith? Or are you trying some other way to make atonement for yourself? Put your conscience at ease. Let's go now to just briefly four points of application. First, beware of false comfort. 
Beware of false comfort. Some may say to you, you're just like the rest of us. Friends, the issue isn't one of comparison. We are all sinners through and through. The issue is that God is holy and we are guilty. There's no comfort in comparison. Some may say, well, you just need better self-esteem. Friends, the Bible says the guilty know they're guilty. Romans 2, your conscience accuses you. If you know yourself at all, you know that there isn't much to esteem. So accurate assessment is what we need, and our conscience is right. We have wronged against our Creator, our God. The chaplain's comfort in the ER clip is is also a false comfort. She says it's easier to feel guilty than it is to feel forgiven. Well, it doesn't go far enough at all. Our guilt of sin is real. And so we need mercy. The mercy that pricks your conscience needs to be soothed and comforted only through Christ's finished work on the cross. Second point. Beware of coming to Jesus' atonement too quickly. This is how Jay Packer puts it. We learn to appreciate the access to God which Christ has won for us only after we have first seen God's inaccessibility to sinners. We can cry hallelujah with authenticity only after we have first cried, woe is me for I am lost. So when you see God's holiness, you'll begin to see your sinfulness. And then when you see Jesus, you'll say, yes, that's my atonement. That's my sacrifice. That's my substitute. He took my penalty that I might live. If I could illustrate it this way, if the offense is fairly minor, right, and the punishment merely an annoying slap on the wrist, you care very little when the officer lets you go for speeding. And you'll continue to probably drive over the speed limit. But when the offense is personal against your maker and the punishment is justly severe, you revel in grace and you marvel at forgiveness and then you live differently. Third, make sure your plan is God's plan. We're hardwired to try to make it on our own, to find a way to prove ourselves, not to trust, but to even ignore. We want to earn our way back to God. This quote, I think, from Spurgeon was mentioned by Jeff Burgess in Sunday School. It fits here so well. Holiness isn't the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. We cannot mistake this, right? We want to earn our way back. We're going to be tempted daily to seek other ways to try to cut a deal with God, to curry his favor, appease his wrath, give him something he likes so that maybe he'll refrain from smiting us, we think. But we learn in the book of Leviticus that we are sinners through and through. We've messed up really bad. The consequences may be small or they may not in your life right now. But you know it's sin and you know that sin is serious. Maybe you've looked again, or you've hidden it again, or you've turned to it again, or you've thought through it again, or you've lost it and gotten angry again, and you've messed up again. Make sure your plan is God's plan, which leads to fourth and final application. Remember Christ's atonement. 
Remember Christ's atonement. Applied to you by faith, you are clean, you are cleansed, your sin has been removed, and you don't have to be ashamed any longer. Christ has cleaned you. He has removed all the sin fully and finally. He's taken your uncleanness upon himself, your sin, your failures. He became sin for you so that you might become clean. He embraced the scars of the cross so that you might be free from your past, your sin, your scars. He was defined by sin, marked by sin. He became sin so that you might become, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the righteousness of God no longer defined by sin. What you've done or what's happened to you. Your sin was placed on him. Your sin was judged in him. Your sin was removed, led into the wilderness, out of God's sight and yours. He remembers it no more. So before you continue this week to come up with a plan, a strategy to cover life's most shameful things, Christ says to you, I know what happened. I know what you've done. I don't reject you. He says to you, I'm not moving away from you, but towards you. I'm not ashamed to be associated with you. Remember, my holiness is contagious. To you in your shame, he says, you are my brother, my sister. My father has adopted you. Your shame is swallowed up in my honor. And it's my honor that I now share with you. So brother, sister, friend, fellow sinner, come to Jesus, your great high priest. Sing with us for joy because your priest lives. Full and final atonement has been made and is accepted. And as a result, we are accepted too. Our sin has been carried outside of the camp and so carried away from us. So we go home with gratitude and we gather together with praise for Christ loves us and blesses us and has given us in himself the fulfillment of the day of atonement. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we gather as Christians, as Christians, and we say in the name of Christ, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Forgiven, full, final, and forever. Would you pray with me? Father God, we we pray for grace that your holiness and your mercy seen on the day of atonement converging, climaxing on the cross would it drive us to the way of atonement that you have provided? Would it drive us from our sin and to our Savior? Help us to see your holiness to see the sobriety with which you must be approached and then to remember that at the heart of it at the center of it is mercy all the ceremony all the sacrifice all the blood so that Aaron might enter one day a year and encounter mercy 
So, Father God, we pray that you would help us to be those who look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the full and final sacrifice for our sins, so that we might receive mercy, mercy, mercy. We pray all this in his name.